When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 916, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like y'all. Can we be there? Oh, just think of the time. Art and love so strange, said you never know. While I try my best, hey, come around. Hey, I'm Josh Flanagan, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Flanagan. What? what? It's Connor Kilpatrick. I'm kidding. You know Hello. all I want to do is talk to myself. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's what's happening. <laughs> I was going to make a, I was going to say talk to my wife, which is funny, but also I say that a lot. But honestly, honestly. I'm your show wife. Come on. You are. You're my <laughs> my. You're my 20-year podcast wife. Yeah. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 917. Every week, one of us picks the book that they most enjoyed from the weekly releases of comic book issues this specific week. Mm-hmm. That is the pick of the week this specific week. We will talk about that comic book and any other books from this week that deserve talking about, whether by their importance, their quality, or occasionally their lack thereof, or just mm-hmm. something that made us think. That's how this works. It's an art, not a science. Little science, mostly art. The patron pick is also going to be in there. There's listener mail. The task here for us, entertaining and thoughtful. That's what we're open for. Entertaining and informative. And informative, that's right. Both not, not just for you, but for us. Right. I learned things also. It's important to know this is entertainment. Yeah, I didn't even read this stuff. I just, we have no, an no. intern. We never read any of these books. These are all, no. we, we pick up as we go along. I have a deal with the publishers, and they send me prose versions of the comics. Right. I get bullet-pointed story yeah. beats, and you know, I glance at the art. I glance at the preview pages. That's how the show works. Honestly, I don't know how to make heads or tails about which way I'm supposed to look on those things. No. I read them all right to left. They're just children's cartoons. <laughs> this week. I don't even like comics. <laughs> it's childish shit. I mostly yeah. read Proust. Who reads these things? It's just nerds is what they are. Connor, you had the pick. I did. I, ha- I had a very eclectic and interesting week. And I really enjoyed the, the books that were good. The one I enjoyed the most ended up being Avengers Twilight Book 3 from Chip Zdarsky, Daniel Cunha, and Ho- I was going to say Jose Caramagna, but it's, it's, just, it's just Joe. You know what happened is I put some eye drops in while you were talking and I couldn't, I couldn't read the words. Wow. The screen got blurry. Okay. You know. Anyway, no one needs to know about my problems. The first issue of this miniseries, Josh, it was your pick of the week. This is a six-issue miniseries, speculative fiction, in the future, old man Steve Rogers in the Superman kingdom come role, going to whip these young whippersnappers into shape and teach them the true meaning of heroism. This was the turning of the tide episode, or issue, however you want to call it, where the team is starting to come together. They haven't turned the tide in, in terms of the battle, but Steve is no longer really alone by the end of this issue. Mm-hmm. He has a very formidable avengers unit with him 
the only negative, which isn't even a negative about the book itself, is just that by the end of it, I was like, I don't know how they do this in six issues and have it feel satisfying, but this is not a problem for this issue. This is a problem for the future. Mm. You know, this feels like they should be really living in this making a 12. I think we, we talked about this before, but it doesn't matter. Let's talk about this issue. There were, as I, as I read this, I thought, oh, there's a lot of classic superheroes. The tickle your, what you crave from a Captain America on his own situation. Plus, you've got floating head Tony Stark. Yeah, which they're underplaying, if I'm going to be honest with you. Like, no one's mentioned it. No one's made any jokes about floating head in a bottle Tony Stark. What was that on Futurama? Wasn't one of the characters like that? Nixon. Yeah, it's like that. But the, you're right. Yeah. I, when they said that he's still alive via his head floating in a thing, I thought this for sure would make that a big deal. But it really kind of isn't. I don't even think he talks. Like, I went back and I was like, did I know about this before? I don't think I did. And there's a bit where they click the machine to, like, bring the head out and it pulls off. There's, like, shoulder thing. There's extensions that come out from where the shoulder should be. And I was like, right. wait, was it attached to a body? But it wasn't. It was his head in a jar. And it's not like a wake. He's not like the Nixon's head where he's talking. I don't know. I was like, I don't understand how I missed it. And I was like, why is no one talking about this? Anybody who walks in that room should be like, right. hey, that's Tony Stark's head in a jar. That's the first thing. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to focus on anything else. You'd be like, is anyone else literally really distracted by the Tony Stark's floating head? Even if it was just some guy. Right. But it's not just some guy. It's Tony Stark. And so they've been using his brain to help however they use it to get his ideas. Mm -hmm. They've been sort of siphoning his intelligence. The bad guys, Jim Steranko. Red Skull, <laughs> and young Tony Stark, his kid, him and Janet's kid. So there's a daring raid on the facility to free Tony Stark by Steve. He ends up getting the young female bullseye on his side, and he renames her Hawkeye in the middle of the battle. Tony Stark's kid looks like an anime character, I think. Yes. And then by the end of it, we have Miss Marvel returning after he approached her in the last issue to join the team, and then we have a Thor saves the day at the end. Plus... Steve retrieves his shield from the facility. So he's fully Captain America. And there was a great page there where he talks to the shield. <laughs> like, it's his old pal. I thought it was terrific. You know, this is all the stuff you want in this kind of story in the, the triumphant moments of success. Now, obviously, they're going to have to have setbacks because there's only half of the story. But for right now, you can see how this team can pull out a victory now that they're sort of all coming together. And it's just wonderfully drawn. By Daniel Acuna. We, one of our patrons on our Discord server is, is a comic artist, and he he knows that whole scene, the whole Spain comic art scene. And he said that Acuna's been working on this since 2020. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, that means we're, we're going to get him on all six issues, which is a miracle. Hopefully, <laughs> that's what that means. But it just looks beautiful. He's doing, you know, all the line work, all the inking, all the coloring. The color might be the best part of it. I mean, it's it's almost like like the art is great, but like where he really brings it over the top is how he finishes it with the colors. It really is like a complete package. There's sound effects that are on the quote unquote board all through it that are drawn into the art. There's other sound effects that are put into by the letterer, but you can sort of see the difference. And um, they're all over it too. If you look like yeah, I'm re I'm scrolling through it. Yeah, page nineteen. There's a bit where I don't think it's it's not it is it's the bullseye character, I guess. 19? Yeah, but there's a thing in the last panel where it's like, blam, blam, blam. Yeah. And and they're cool part of that lower panel. And then as you go down, you see the tiny little ding, ding as it shoots off of the, the hull of the plane. Right. I know that we talk about lettering and sound effects some of the time, and it's like, well, who cares? To me, like that kind of lettering, that stuff in there, that is storytelling. Yeah. It's an important part of it. Yeah. It's a really big, important part of it. And the problem with it, when it's done well, you almost don't notice it. And so 
once you start noticing it, you can appreciate it. It's it's wonderful. There's another one where, let's see, page 26, where Evil Iron Man's son, you know, punches the shield and there's a clang mm-hmm. and it fully fits in between their two bodies and Steve's mm-hmm. leg goes through it and the lettering, the outline of the lettering stays in front of the leg and the coloring of the lettering goes behind the leg. You don't do that unless the artist is doing all of it like that. Oh, for sure. That's something yeah. you get here that makes it special. They're great sound effects, man. They're so like all the way through it. Every page has something fantastic. I mean, the color palette is dour as it befits a dour story, right? And this is a, mm-hmm. a bleak future in which totalitarianism reigns and the heroes of yesterday are beaten down or out of the picture entirely or dead. And so, you know, it's not a big four color comics story, but you get these pops of nice bright color and moments. The red really. Page 28, where Miss Marvel shows up in Big and, and saves oh. everybody. This isn't what I'm talking about in terms of a heroic moment. Well, I guess it is a heroic moment. But look at the color on that light. It just sort of, I was, just I sort was. of stands out against her, mm-hmm. of the street light in front of her. The sound effects sometimes are really bright. When the shield is revealed, it's, it's a bright red and white shield. Like it's, look, at, look at the water. uses them very well. On that page, look at the water dripping off her hands, especially the one, her right hand on our left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just beautiful because it's raining. She's in the ocean. There's the lights coming off of her. Like if you look around her, there's like a halo around her head. Right. It's just just great. I will say like I read this and I and I really enjoyed it. It was one of those weeks where I didn't think about what I would make pick of the week. I didn't sure. have a heck of a lot of books, mm-hmm. but I, I I read this and there was a bunch of moments in it where I was like, oh, they're playing with me, but they're doing it just right. You know, that sort of a Avengers crescendo sort of issue, you know, and there's, there's a couple of things in here that kind of are dumb. One is like one of the assassins goes to shoot him and the assassin's name is bullseye and you're like what and then yeah. she refuses to shoot him because he's unarmed and you know and then she she switches sides and goes with him and he's like you're not bullseye you're hawkeye and i was like oh <laughs> and then they're on the way back to the plane and for some reason she goes wait just go in this room and it's his shield whatever <laughs> i i didn't even like i didn't stop to be like oh that's ridiculous that it's there i thought yeah <laughs> i didn't even know he didn't have his shield i wasn't thinking about it and then he has a couple of lines in there where he's just like with you i can do anything he's talking to the shield in his head and and like that steve gets his mojo back yeah pretty great well then at the end you have iron man's son has his own iron suit and so he's fighting them and mm-hmm. and it looks like all hope is lost and then he gets zapped by a giant lightning bolt and i was like oh is that and i turned the page and it was a great page turn into thor and i just went yes whereas the reveal of ms marvel She's really huge. The reveal of Thor is a little subtle. He's off the distance on top of the building, yeah. And his helmet has been galacticized a little bit. A little bit. A little bit galacticized. <laughs> hey, you know, maybe that's on purpose. The one other thing that I really like about this is that James Stark's pretty bad. And yeah. I hope this story isn't about redeeming him, although it's Steve Rogers. I hope that he's just a bad guy. He grew up shitty. It happened, you know? Didn't he get partially raised by Red Skull? I don't remember. The Red Skulls pretend to be... Jarvis is whatever. I forget. Oh, All right. And so. Fred Jarvis. Yeah, it's Fred. I think he was raised by him, which would make sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they can't resist that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to kill Tony and Janet's kid. But, you know, we'll see. I just think this was a great fun. This is Elseworlds storytelling at its finest, where you get familiar elements. You tell them in a new way. You add in new elements. There's great art. There's fun redesigns. You know, I love these sort of all hope is lost in the future stories when, you know, we know that, you know, the heroes will be back to save the day. Mm-hmm. If you look on in your digital reader, page 34, which is the next issue tease, and it looks like Thor's helmet is more just like a crazy Norse design than Galactus. Yeah. It's the same shape. That can't be a complete accident. You just, you couldn't not know. Wasn't he Galactus's herald in the future in one of those old man Thor stories? 
yes, that was I think a long time some ago. version of it. Yeah, this is very good though. It was. It was also the last book I read. Was it the last book I read? Yeah, it was the last book I read. So mm. it was the most anticipated book from Marvel. But if you'd asked me earlier in the day, I was like, oh man, am I going to make Duke the pick of the week again? Duke number three. I mean, it was in the list. It was number two. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, it it's is. really, it's really yeah. good. I, first of all, Tom Riley's art is perfect for this book. It has this nice blend of cartoony and realistic, and he does really great character work. He does really great action sequences. When things get crazy, they get real crazy. I was reading, I never read the letters pages anymore, but I was reading these. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you did or not. Uh, not these. I read, I've read them before. They said that they're taking the visual design from those toys you have, mm-hmm. that toy line. So that's why rock and roll looks a lot like that figure. Right, got. the classified. I don't like the short-haired Baroness, though. We'll get to her in a second. Okay, sorry. Both the editor and Josh Williamson apparently have a ton of those toys, and they're, they're taking the visual cues from those toys. Except Stalker, who's OG. You don't need to touch Stalker, because Stalker is perfect. Yep. Uh, there was something else they said. I can't remember what it was. Oh, that girl that was with Clutch in the last issue was Cover Girl. Uh-huh. And she'll be back. That was Cover Girl in this trailer, who was supposed to be sexy looking, and for some reason in the original series, they gave her a suburban mom haircut. I yelped when Major Blood showed up Yep, in the beginning with his comically large pistol. <laughs> I didn't even notice that he didn't have an eye patch. So later on when he gets shot in the face, I literally went, oh shit, thinking he'd been dead. Then I was, oh no, they just shot oh, him in the eye. I thought they killed him and I thought that's no, they gotta baller give him, to kill him. They got to give it. him an eye patch. Yeah. Let me ask you a Major Blood question. Comically large gun. Is that a robot arm? I think in this version, it seems like it's like a Winter Soldier type situation. See, I always thought it was a robot arm. And then as I've been reading the old comics, I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's not. I think in the old comics, he's just wearing like armor. Right. But this one definitely looks like it's a robot hand. Yeah. I love his comically large pistol. I love his relationship with Destro, who we haven't really seen yet. I really liked the interplay between Duke and Baroness and Clutch in the pit prison. I liked the cutaway. I like that they still keep teasing in Duke's trauma about the Transformers. Like, this is really, really well done to the point where I'm kind of pissed that it's a six-issue miniseries and not an ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or five-issue, whatever it is. I'm really curious what they're going to do with this. Like, is it going to be a series of character-based minis? That might be interesting. I mean, they're not going to stop. Like, no, no, no. Josh Williams is going to be like, I said what I, I, said what I had <laughs> to say about G.I. Joe. I'll see you. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. This is a guy who sticks right. it out. So I'm very curious to see what that all means. And also, it's really, it's just sort of interesting that, you know, uh, I was going to say an IP and I almost punched myself in the face. A franchise that has been defined by ninjas, they seem to be markedly staying away from them in these books so far, which is interesting, I think. I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. I just think it's very interesting. Because the easy thing would be to make the first book Snake Eyes. But what they've done is they made Duke interesting to me. And I I think I talked about this with Ryan in the second issue. Like, I was never a Duke fan. No. Me neither. He was a stick in the mud. He stole Scarlet in the cartoon from Snake Eyes. Like, he was just kind of dull. But here he's that really That wasn't his fault. I'm blaming him. I can't okay. blame anyone else. <laughs> you didn't know who those people were, so. Sure, there's a bunch of names at the end. I don't know those guys. But I think here, this version of him is really interesting. Now, Baroness. So, loved the backstory. Loved it all. Mm-hmm. Good fast story. Her being a bored Eastern European Baroness who becomes an international terrorist, was terrific. It's Patty Hearst. I don't mind the hair. I think this is a personal preference. The hair doesn't bother me. She looks cooler instead of like the aristocracy, I guess. Movie Baroness had short hair, right? Uh, what's her name? Yeah, yeah. She did. I think that's so the, the toy. toy. 
Well, there's a movie version of the toy, and then there's another version of the toy, so she doesn't have... What's also interesting is we were young when we were interfacing with G.I. Joe, and Mm -hmm. all of these things go into the big stew pot that is sexuality. Okay. And I think it's interesting to look back on several important 80s stories or or whatever, and how they played with the idea of good girl, bad girl, you know, Mm -hmm. like Betty and Veronica or Scarlet and Baroness, you know. Mm-hmm. Baroness was eye-opening. She was wearing leather. She was very stern. You were just like, oh, I don't know what these feelings are. It never occurred to me that she was supposed to be attractive. <laughs> no. They kind of made her not attractive in the cartoon, but she was in the comics. Yeah. That's fair. And and I get it. I know what you're saying, but that wasn't one of those things because I was like, she's the bad guy. And also her accent was Yeah, scary. she was. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy to see her show up. I think they're doing a good job of stretching this out. Oh, the other point they made in the letters page, which I hadn't really considered, is that at this point in the story, Cobra is not a thing. Oh, yeah? Neither is G.I. Joe. Yes, you're right. Yeah, okay, you're right. Neither Cobra nor G.I. Joe exist yet. They have their names, though. Right, that's the weird thing. The code, like, the code names never really explained. They, I would like someone to just be like, we use code names. And just have mm-hmm. it be at that. But why is he calling Clutch Clutch? Cobra is not a thing yet. Cobra Commander has just sort of entered our world in his book. G.I. Joe isn't a thing yet in this book. These guys are all just military members, so they haven't really formed either side yet. We could be fairly early on in a very long-form storytelling, which would be really interesting. I'm fine with that. Let's do it. Yeah. But again, the question of what is the spine of the story, if it's not a G.I. Joe book, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I mean, Energon. Right, but like, I guess it'll just be a series of minis that you just follow along, which is totally fine. Yeah. No. Pick and choose. It was really fun. Yeah. It's really well done. Jordi Belair and Colors. Just it's a beautiful like book. Yeah. I mean, a books from Skybound don't cheap out on talent, and I love that. I took a flyer on room service number zero from Image. This thing where there's going to be zero issues from Image, which has been happening a little more. Yeah. Let's knock that right out. Let's yeah, not I didn't that. like that. Although this did feel like a... Yes. Not a prelude, but sort of like a cold open. A preamble. Yeah, it's not really the main story. But we'll see. I guess we won't yeah. know until issue one. This was uh, James Tinian the fourth, Josh, and... Elsa Chartier from Love, Love, I was going to say Love Actually, but that wasn't right. Love Everlasting. Uh-huh. It was for her that I picked the book up originally. I was like, well, yeah, she, same. No, at least I'll check it out. But it's good. I thought it was good. It was good. And again, it's one of those things, it's not necessarily the kind of story that I like. Tinian stuff, he's very into horror and suspense and, and whatever this is. It's more like a crime this. thriller though, than, than horror. Yeah, but it's still like, it's more like a serial killer kind of, like it's not crime, like let's pull the heist off. It's like a... No, no, but it's murder. Sadistic human stuff. It is, but like there's a difference. Like when you say crime to me, oh, I yeah. think of bad guys versus other bad guys who are really good guys and they're stealing something or whatever. There's some sort of well, cleverness. Just a heist. This That's is, a subgenre of crime. I get it. But this is like serial killers... And criminals are not the same thing. Serial killers are criminals, but it's a different thing. This is a little more like the sadistic you heard it here side first. of Josh human says nature. Serial killers are not criminals. I didn't say that. That's, that's very exactly the opposite of what I said. And their um, <laughs> manifestos. Anyway, the point being, like, I give James Tinning a lot of credit in this is that it's not the kind of story that I necessarily want to read. But as I got through it, I thought he's pretty successful at this point. But I, I noticed I was like, this is really well structured short story really well really good satisfying yes incredibly satisfying the way that it was teased out and you saw the bits of it and how it came together and how you got to know the characters in a very short amount of time i thought that was really 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 well done and again we've said this before you know i don't know where elsa shratier came from that was a terrible pronunciation shratier but 
I mean, what an immense amount of skill and style from a, a name who I've never seen before. And you know what? It doesn't look exactly like what she's doing in Love Actually. <laughs> it's Love Everlasting. It doesn't look like that style. You can see it's the same person, but she's doing more of a romantic romance comic style there. Something that's much closer to like a Darwin Cook school. But it's creepy too. This is different. Yeah. It's different. So the story here is that really, really rich people can use this service just to let off some steam by committing murder. Yeah. And they'll clean it all up and make sure you don't get caught and all that stuff. You know, you get real stressed out at your hedge fund job. You're, you're managing billions of dollars for other rich people and you just need to kill someone. That's what they do for you. And here, the boyfriend of a hedge fund guy finds out, tells his journalist brother. The journalist brother tells his editor. The editor tells the CEO who has two pollsters who would never have two pollsters. So he'd be the publisher, not the CEO. Because <laughs> the CEO is a business guy, not a journalist. And they all get killed by the organization to clean it up because the CEO of the paper is a client of the organization. So he tells mm-hmm. them and they kill everyone to clean up the mess. And I thought this was a compelling issue. I'm curious to see what they do because this isn't the story. Mm-hmm. We may never see this guy again, this hedge fund guy. Just maybe just be a taste of the world. Like he was a real heartbreaker in that like, you you, you know, the way that he did what he did is just terrible because he knew what was going to happen. He's like, I right. couldn't help myself. And he really did like that guy. You got, you know, he tried to pretend like it was just some, yeah. just some guy he was sleeping with, but he had, a, he had a photo of him in his house. Like, it was yeah. sad, even if he was a murderer. So we'll see. It's hard to judge a zero issue like this because we don't know what the story of the book mm-hmm. is. This particular one issue was really good. Now we'll see what the actual story of the book is, is the next issue, mm-hmm. which I'm going to read. Yeah, I agree. It was a nice surprise. The Penguin number 7, speaking Sort of, sort of tangentially of Tom King. We are back to this sort of flashback origin story of the Penguin. It's a retcon. Yeah. And what I was thinking as I was reading the last issue and into this one is that I feel like our author here saw an opening in that the Penguin has been present forever. And there's a story about what he is, but he has drifted away from having his own character and backstory be a part of his presence in Gotham in a way and in a way that we spent so much time on the Joker for the longest time like he's sort of applying that microscope to the penguin here and I think it is very successful and what's interesting about it is this is really a very well written but 1986 approach to like let's make this fucker dark yeah that again for me that only works when it's done really well and I am I'm pretty riveted by the way this character is being portrayed here. I think it, it gives him weight and heft, which I haven't seen in a while. Well, the Penguin's always like, well, had been whatever you needed him to be. Yes. You know, when I was a kid, he was the Burgess Meredith Penguin, right? He had his trick umbrellas and he was just any other supervillain. He fought Batman. Mm-hmm. And then I want to say the 90s, I'm just going to think that's when it was. They sort of turned him into the crime boss of Gotham. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the 80s, when I was started reading 80s and 90s, when you listed Batman's villains, it was always Joker, Penguin, yeah. Riddler, et cetera. Like, he was always second. It was always rattle off his villains. It was Joker, Penguin, and then it was whatever order you want to say for that. But Penguin was always the second one. And I think partially because of you know the 60s TV show. Also, he was a popular character and a big villain. But I think after a while, as comics enter the more realistic quote-unquote age, you know, the idea of this guy being a punching bag for Batman was mm-hmm. not really satisfying. So they turned him into a crime boss, which worked for the character. Even if as someone who grew up reading the other kind of stories, I kind of missed that Penguin. I still I understood to change and what had to happen. And so here, King posits that that goofy version of Penguin was always a feint. It was always mm-hmm. a character he was playing in order to deflect attention away from what he was really doing. 
that's where the retcon comes in, the retroactive continuity, what you think you know was wrong the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a change. I don't necessarily dislike it. I do think it stretches credulity a little bit to think that Batman would sanction so much of Penguin's crime. I had that feeling, but if, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's one of those things where, is he doing the math? Like, this saves more lives than not? Because I should point out, it's not all that different than the big story they just did where Batman fought his kids because they wanted to let Catwoman control the crime. and He said no crime is allowed. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say that is an older, wiser Batman than this one yeah. in these flashbacks is younger. And that's certainly, you could say that. But it just sort of strains it a little bit for me where I'm like, well, maybe the last issue. But once he really got embedded and started killing, like, well, I don't know if he knows he's killing people. But right. once he got embedded as the guy in charge, the Iceberg Lounge, and I don't know if you let him run like that. It's a minor quibble. Yes, I, I noticed it. And I, I basically said to myself, I'll allow it. You know what I mean? I, I like in this story, because it's called the Penguin, it's his, you know, it's like he's a match for Batman. And then I think that that is good. You want him to be a match for Batman. It's not fun if all of the bad guys, like he's always one step ahead of them. You know, why else would the Penguin still be around? Right. You know, he has to have some some juice. And it, it's an interesting story. It's a really, it's like I was thinking about it. And other than, I don't know if it was a one shot, that, that Jason Aaron Penguin story. Yep. I can't remember a story where he has been actually the main villain in Batman forever. And he's just sort of a facilitator. You know, like you said, he does what he needs to. This story, I think, is respectful of this character. Being like, he's formative. He's got something. It is working better, I think, than their attempts to do the same thing with the Riddler recently. Yes. Yes. You know, they tried to make the Riddler like the movie version where he was this cold serial killer type and... It didn't really work so much in, in that book that Tom King did with Mitch Garretts. It wasn't as successful. It didn't matter. That was sort of out of continuity. How do you feel about the art change? Ever since the story has gone to Gotham, the art changed to Stevan Subak. It's a much dirtier, uglier, not bad. I'm just saying the style is dirtier and uglier than the first artist who did more of a superhero style. I mean, since these are the flashback issues, it works for me. In that sense. The other thing is that this sort of version... I didn't even know that was supposed to be the same girl from the first arc. Uh, I knew it because there's no other woman who's going to be with him who talks like that. I love that relationship, by the way. I cannot get my arms around it. You know, like what it's (laughs) supposed to be like. But I I like the way that goes. And then I I also like that, like, it's a different art style, but it's the same character they're drawing. Right. I think. They've been flashing back for a while. It's been like three issues. Yeah. And I'm cool with that. I assume that when they go back to, you know, finish up the main story, that other artist whose name I have no idea what it is. Uh, we'll be back. But, uh, you know, the flashback, different artist, totally fine with it. The issue ends on a moment that I think will make or break the story. What this actually means will depend on my endorsement of this or not. And so mm-hmm. early in the issue, the Penguin hires oh. the help for the first time to go on a mission. We don't know what it is until the final page reveal. And he comes back and he and reports that he followed some trail all around the world and gives Penguin a piece of paper that says Bruce Wayne on it. In the dialogue or in the caption box, it says that this is the man who bought the Iceberg Lounge. Mm-hmm. And if that's all it is, that's fine. But if we're doing another villain that knows he's Bruce Wayne, because they just did that with the Joker, then I think that's a problem. They have to stop doing that. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. Again, we'll... I'm pretty what, sure that's what's happening, unless it's a feint, which I guess it could be, but... I mean, the feint is that it's just about the Iceberg Lounge, who owns it. And it's not about who's under the cowl. They just can't do this. They can't. Well, Especially with Batman. They can't know who's under that cowl. I kind of don't care on a per-story basis. Well, it's the world. Like, when they start pulling the bricks out of yeah. the wall, the wall falls down. But is this real? Like, is this, con- is this, is this I canon? I think so. I think it is. Whatever. They'll forget it when they need to later. I, I also wanted, like, the, the character of the help 
I love that character. Great character. It's a great really villain. Original and new, but feels like it could have been around forever. Feels like it's a Batman villain. You know, like yep. there's a crazy conceit to him. He's 90. <laughs> I mean, like it's been a while since we've had a really good new Batman villain. Yeah. I think we got an email asking this very question. The answer would be the help. Mm-hmm. The most recent good Batman villain they've added to the canon of villains. Yeah. But maybe we'll answer that question and really get into it another time. Let's take a quick break and talk about how you can support this show. If you enjoyed listening, as we enjoy doing it every week, if you think this brings a bit of value to your comic book reading, or even not your comic book reading, we hear from people who don't read anymore, but like to keep up with the world and the industry and the stories, and so they listen to the show. If you think that's valuable to you, consider supporting us in any way you can. That's how these things work now. That's how the creator economy, so-called, works. And the best way to do that is become a patron at patreon.com slash ifanboy. You can directly support our various shows. You can become part of a great community on Discord and Facebook. And we have our monthly patron hangout where we hang out for a couple hours with the patrons and, and just do goofy shit and do Q&As and all kinds of fun stuff. That's actually happening next week. So if you ever wanted to be a patron, patreon.com slash ifanboy. If you want to become a patron in a yearly block, you get 10% off the cost. And we have tier-exclusive merchandise. Depending on what tier you are, you get merch directly for that tier and at a $5 or higher level, you get a patron power, you get access to the Discord server, and $10 or higher, you get an ad-free feed for the show, so you don't get to hear us talk about mental health or shopping or underwear, which we don't do anymore, but I miss it. I do too. You can find out all the details at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Also, ifanboy.threadless.com is our merchandise store. We have 13 designs that are on t-shirts and more. ifanboy.com slash support is our direct donation PayPal link. If you're an eccentric lunatic billionaire and you want to drop $500 million into PayPal, Fanboy.com slash support. No one will judge you. Fanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can do your shopping. If you're someone who likes to use Amazon to shop, you can make that your permanent link. That'd be fine with us. Nothing comes out of your pocket, comes out of Amazon's pocket. We thank you very much. And also, you can find our links to our Booksplode books on that page, although right now they're broken because Amazon just changed their how they display things and they just broke the page. So we're fixing it. Bookshop.org is our partner for helping out local bookstores. If you order books from them, like I just did, I just ordered the Oppenheimer biography that the movie was based on. If you do that, a local bookstore fulfills that order, and they get the money, and it's really great because they're the best. My favorite thing to do is go to a local bookstore and come out with six or seven books that I'll read in four to five years. <laughs> it's true. Thank you for helping us. We appreciate it. The show could not go on without you. You're as much a part of this as anything. We appreciate all the help anyone can give. I want to really quickly mention Batman the Brave and the Bold number 10, which is still going. We weren't sure if the last issue was the last one because that's what we do here. But here we are with a new set of stories. All of these stories are new. And I only want to talk really about the main one, Batman Mother's Day Part 1, written and drawn by Carl Kershaw, who is so good and does Batman in a very Bronze Age style, sort of royal blue with the yellow oval around the bat. It very much takes me back to that 80s Batman. I was reading this story and I thought, so it takes place in the Gotham Academy world, which is a book that came out, I think, like 10 years ago. That I didn't really read. It was about a school in Gotham and Damien went there and it was a bunch of kids and one of them became sort of a mainstay character, Maps. She's a young girl in the school. Right. Here, you know, he enlists her help because there's a mystery involving Man Bat in the school. She says, is this a Robin thing? And he goes, and he doesn't really answer. So she puts on the Robin outfit and helps him that way. And I thought, she's a great Robin. Mm. I like her. If you really wanted to shake it up, make Maps Robin. And Damien can eat a bad clam. You know? Damien is the one who, like, you most see moving on from being Robin. Right. Like, make Damien someone else. Mm-hmm. He needs to have his Nightwing moment, or he needs to eat a really, really bad clam and, you know, go away. Mm-hmm. But I was reading it, and I was like, she's got a great attitude. She's smart. She's spunky. This is what you want in a Robin. You don't want to hate your Robin. 
I liked her. I liked her in the story. I liked the way she looked. She had basically the classic Dick Grayson costume plus leggings and, and sneakers. I liked it. I was into it. The rest of the stories, eh, they were fine. <laughs> this was good. I like that. That's good. I'm glad you liked the thing. Thank you. You still on Phantom Road? I am. I don't know why, though. Really? I feel like every third issue I really like. But in between, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't necessarily know what's going on, but it's one of those ones when an issue comes out, I really enjoy it because I remember that there was like a couple of them that I really liked a lot. And this is one where we learn, basically learn about the trauma of these two main characters who we don't really know anything about. This was one of the ones where like, oh, yeah, right. This book's good. But then like the previous two, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. But also just the method, the way in which these things were revealed both to us and to the other character that they, that we're with. Basically, you you watch horrible things happen to both of these characters as yeah. the other one is sort of in the background ghost-like. And it, both of them are awful. Like, both of the things that yes. happen to them are awful. Well, they're among the worst things that could happen to people. And so, yes, that was really interesting. The character stuff that keeps popping up is really interesting. I don't know what the hell's going on otherwise. I have no idea. We're nine issues in. I don't know what these creatures are. I don't know why they do anything. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why this guy keeps appearing in a Hawaiian shirt. I'm, I'm not to, like, against I'm the to book, wait for it. but I'm just like, I need help, Jeff Lemire. Help me. Help me. I also, the second to last pages, the double page spread, yeah. is one of the best murders of bad guys that I've seen <laughs> in some time. Splux, splux, bloop. I was yep. like, wait, is this Walter? You know, like, I was like, Wait, somebody really good is drawing this, and I sort of went back to remember it. The combination of Gabriel Hannes Walta and George Belair is mostly why I'm reading the book. It's a gorgeous mm-hmm. book. She does some really interesting color work with the flashbacks, where it's sort of this green yeah. sheen takes sickly. over the flashbacks. It's sickly, and mm-hmm. which is appropriate. And the way she makes that little creature glow is really good. Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff you can really only do with digital coloring, but it's not that the art is terrific. It's not that. It's just that I just need to help me, Obi Wan Lemire. You're my only hope, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Green Arrow number nine, Josh Williamson, Sean Isaacs, and I wanted to mention we're on a new arc for this, and it seems to be that this is the prelude to the big DC event that's coming from Mark Wade and Dan Mora, in which Amanda Waller, who's on Ozempic, clearly, <laughs> is going to take on all the heroes and, according to the press, steal all their powers. This seems to be the prelude to that, where she has moved in to the Hall of Justice, because, again, if you recall, for reasons I don't remember... The Justice League is gone, although the characters are not dead. They just don't no longer an organization. But anyway, she and her men take, including fucking Peacemaker, and the female Peacemaker, what is her name? Peacebreaker. Like I read this. Peacebreaker. Peacewrecker. I thought it was Breaker. No, it's Wrecker. Peacewrecker. Okay. That's fine. They take over the Hall of Justice. They take all the toys, the costumes, and Green Arrow does a little sneaky, sneaky invasion into the thing, and they catch him, and... I just want to mention, this seems to be, if you're at all looking forward to that event, this seems to be the lead into that, where mm-hmm. she's going to take on all the heroes because they're too powerful and they keep fucking everybody up. There's a final page thing we'll talk about in a second, but what did you think of this book? So I, I saw you put it on here and I, I didn't have time to read Brave and the Bold, so I decided I'd read this really quick. And I liked it, you know, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. compared to sort of I dropped off this before I really wanted to like it and didn't. Yeah. Well, that was that future stuff, which is over now. But also, I, I got to say that this is one of the first times that I read Amanda Waller as the sort of villain. And it, at least like, I was like, okay, I understand what she's about right now, mm-hmm. which is not nothing because very often I don't know what her deal is other than, you know, right. she's got, wants a lot of power and is kind of sadistic seeming or like, you know, get everything done, you know, whatever it takes to get it done. It's fine. Whatever. 
at least I felt like I recognized Oliver Queen. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of fun little things about the secret entrance into the Hall of Justice. Yeah. And I, I did think, I was like, why why do I have to have Peacemaker in every goddamn book? Because the thing is this, it's I'm not even, I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like him. I enjoyed that movie, but I thought it was just going to be that movie. Not no. all the comic books. Well, the guy who made that movie is now in charge, so... Yeah, I know. He's everywhere. So the final reveal, the final cliffhanger is that she tells Oliver that she needs him to steal something for her, the most dangerous weapon in the whole world, which is secrets. And we turn the page and it says it's sanctuary. It's it's proof that no bad idea stays dead in comics. I'm good with that. I like that someone is like, you know what? I'll try this. (laughs) And it's either going to watch him fail or you're going to be surprised. They're both entertaining in their way. So Sanctuary from Heroes in Crisis, in which all the heroes spilled their spheres and their insecurities. and Which the author himself recognizes as a misstep. Yeah. It was a bad idea. It had Wally West kill everybody. Now that's back. And so that they're going to try to steal the record of all the heroes' confessionals, their reality TV-style confessionals. Did you instantly know what it was? Because I yes, went, I did. is that? I think it is. Yes, I did. I'm programmed to be like, no. Uh-huh. There's an audacity about it that I love. Sure. And sometimes you can reclaim those bad ideas, but more often mm-hmm. than not, you can't. Sure. <laughs> Timothy's on on the show. Yeah. Star Wars Thrawn Alliance, number two. I had read number one, shockingly. I picked this up because Thrawn story and Timothy's on is listed as co-writer. I hope that's not just a created the credit credit. <laughs> Jody Hauser. Created the character credit, you mean? Yeah. Yes. This is the stuff that's sort of outside of the main story that's going on here. And so basically you have Darth Vader shows up in the same place as Thrawn. They're both empires, so they're going to work together. And then that is overlaid with a story of when Thrawn had a similar adventure with Anakin Skywalker. Hmm. And Thrawn at this point doesn't know, as far as we know, he doesn't know that it's the same person. But that's sort of the mystery that's going on. And I like Thrawn. You know, <laughs> I sure. was like, I'll, I'll do this. You know, I think the art is fun. It's just, it's a fun little, what'd they call it? It's Legends, but it used to just be Extended Universe, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I like it. To me, it's worth the time. Timothy Zahn is is a heck of a, a plotter and created a great character in Thrawn. So this is a Legends book, a non-continuity book? I don't, I don't know. I don't look. I don't care. I just, like, the thing is, like, maybe something becomes canon, but it doesn't matter because I'm not going to remember it one way or the other. Not with your Swiss cheese brain. No, it's true. Let's see. What's it say on the cover here? It doesn't specify. It just says Star Wars, which would indicate that it's not Legends, because usually there's a thing on that other Timothy Zahn book I'm reading that says Legends clearly on the cover. The book book. Oh, the prose one? Yeah. Oh, that one. Uh, Smugglers or whatever that was? Uh, Wait, I've got it. Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Yeah, and at the top, it says, like, the bar across the top says Legends. Yeah. So I think they tell you. All those novels are now... All the ones that came out prior to Disney are legends. It's fine by me. I don't care. <laughs> They're my stories. So as far as I know, the Malakili story, that's real. That happened. Who cares? That's what I want. Make your own continuity. So those mm-hmm. are the books we're going to talk about. But at patreon.com slash fanboy, as we mentioned earlier, you can vote as a patron to add a book for the rundown. And this week, the patrons overwhelmingly chose The Savage Sword of Conan, number one, from Titan Comics, with several stories in them written by various people and drawn by various people. This was a... 90-ish page comic that they made us read. Kudos. (laughs) Well, it wasn't all comic. No, no, it wasn't. And I'm going to be honest with you. I only read the comics for the most part. (laughs) I read the Jim Zub story. I didn't. In fact, I mean, if we're going to be completely cards on the table, I was enjoying the shit out of Conan Mm -hmm. when Jason Aaron was writing it. 
Jim mm-hmm. Zub ended up on it. I have historically not enjoyed Jim Zub's work, so I stopped reading it. And then it went over to Titan where he continued to write it. And I was like, come on. And so I saw his name on the cover of this prior to it being the patron pick. And I was like, well, I'm not reading that either. But what I didn't know was mm-hmm. that it was, I had forgotten what Savage Sword of Conan was. And it was yeah, a series. Yeah, but it, was, but it was also a series from the 70s and 80s that was yeah. in black and white and was when Marvel for a little while was doing adult themed books that had you know, nudity and, and fighting right. and, and you know, stuff that not comics. Code it was Roy stuff. Thomas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And once I sort of grasped what that was, I really came around to it relatively quickly. I was like, oh, cool. There's a tons of like pinups and maps and stuff, but mainly there was three main pieces of story. There was Conan and the Dragon's Horde by John Arcudi and Max von Fafner. Then there, <laughs> there was a two page, although it was longer than that, prose story by Jim Zub, Sacrifice of the Sand, a Conan short story. And then Master of the Hunt Part 1, written drama by Patrick Zercher, which was not a Conan story, but a Solomon Kane story, which is a character who predated Conan. Mm-hmm. Is it a Robert E. Howard Yeah, character? Robert E. Howard character. Oh, that makes sense. Created two years earlier than Conan, who was essentially Conan, just mm-hmm. with a big Puritan hat. But he's basically <laughs> Conan. He looks like Conan. He's got the same blue eyes, long black hair, and sword. I was curious if they were going to make any kind of connection, because they clearly look exactly the same, but uh-huh. they did not as of yet. I did have that thought as well. I really enjoyed reading this. As did I. I thought the Arcudi main story, Conan and the Dragon Horde, which was just a one-part story, because the Solomon Kane story is part one of however many. Four? I thought it was terrific, the main story. The Arcudi story? Yeah. 100%. And it was exactly what I wanted it to be. It's classic. There's a level of silliness that you can have there. There's a level of pretty straightforward, like, you know who the bad guy is. <laughs> there was one bit in it where I was like, come on, Conan, how stupid are you? When the guy's like, the gold's back there. Yeah, just go down into that hole. Just, and I was like, it's Conan, like he's making come a gesture on. to go make, make a, just make a left. Yeah. Make a, like, go down the like street he, and make a left. But the, I was like, you can't be that stupid. But then at the same time, I was like, you know what, go for it. I'm fine. Go for it, Conan. I mean, this is all the elements you want. Conan, at this point, it's General Conan. And look, Conan is a great character because he defies the normal rules. Like, he's good at everything. He's the best sword fighter ever. He's the best thief ever. He's the best lover ever. He's the best general ever. Like, he's the best at everything. And normally Mm -hmm. that kind of thing's annoying. But it works because it's so kind of over the top with Conan. Mm -hmm. He's leading a force. He's been hired. This mixed force. that Some of them are his people. Some of them are the guy's people. Against a city for a siege. Everyone's sort of uneasy. There's a badass busty woman there who eventually will succumb to conan's charms by the way he's got game yeah he totally nails it with the line with the drink good line i totally would use something like that in my 20s he's good i was like he's much more suave because there's other books where he's written as people are just attracted to his yeah strength or whatever but in this there's a little swagger there was a little little wit to him i was like all right and so they get to the city the guy who hired everybody he's got these two giant bodyguards plus he has two lion pets and they've got elephants. They get to the city and they, they're laying siege to it. And a lot of the army's deserted because they've been there for so long. Nothing's happening. So there's supposedly a gold mine underneath the city. That's where they're all there for. And <laughs> there's a Dinosaur. point where they attack. And then the, the elephants are trying to break down the, the gate. And the gate opens. And the elephants get shredded by something. And then a giant fucking Tyrannosaurus Rex comes out. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> there's a panel right as he comes out. There's an inset of Conan's face. And he's like, shit. <laughs> Like, and he doesn't do that a lot. Right. <laughs> it's, he's, he's genuinely taken aback. And they call um, it a dragon. It's, it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it also has like bony, 
spine to it. So it's slightly, slightly different, but you know, they, they end up defeating that with the help of the, the girl is an engineer and she's got all these like trebuchets and giant ballistas, which are giant arrow shooting things. So they, you know, they end up beating that. And then there's a disagreement. Conan has to kill the lions, kill the bodyguards, blah, 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 blah. He has a lot of sex with the woman while they're laying siege. Cause what else are you going to do? Sure. He gets suspicious. He sneaks into the city, finds out that almost everybody in the city is already dead. And so they go in, find out the city is run by the guy's brother, the main guy's brother. There is no gold. There's only a bunch of baby Tyrannosaurus Rexes in the... It's just basically, it ends with almost everybody dying except for Conan and the girl. And they ride off into the sunset. It was, it was a classic Conan story. My only negative to say is, first of all, we read this digitally. On the Discord, people were saying that the print version was kind of hard to read because the, the art was really dark, mm-hmm. which I could totally see. You know, these are all black and white stories. It seemed as though... Max von Fafner, who's the artist, I think was a really, really good artist. It seemed like he, you know, drew this digitally, did grayscale sort of painting, and then, well, either before or after, put lines over it. And the lines didn't really work with the grayscale, especially the woman's face, Ina. Mm-hmm. He gave her all these unnecessary extra lines that the grayscale already pointed out. The textures of her face didn't need these mm-hmm. thin, clearly digital lines. Sometimes digital is not working. And this is one of those times where it just felt like it didn't fit the art. It was like, pick a style, mm-hmm. you know, either digitally paint it with grayscale or do line drawings. But the way he did both didn't really work a lot. That was my only negative. Didn't notice it. Didn't bother me. That's why, otherwise, it looked really good. It just felt like it didn't need both. That's I liked saying. her face in that it didn't look like every face of everyone, you know, yeah. every face in comics of women always just looks like the same blonde woman drawn by right. Alex Raymond. But this didn't. And so I thought that was kind of cool. I really loved that style. It brought me right back to like, oh man, these black and white sort of Conan comics from the seventies, which I was, you know, which I kind of knew about, but when I was a kid, I never read them and I really enjoyed it. How was the Jim Zub story? It was fine. It was enjoyable. It didn't take Mm -hmm. me that long to read. Okay. A Vestal Virgin being taken to sacrifice and Conan shows up and kills everybody and rescues her. It was a very simple sort of Conan story. Yep. I thought it was good. That's what he does. Then the Solomon Kane story, which is again, just a... Puritan Conan stories. He's the same character. He shows up on this farm where the husband is missing because he went out. Some creatures been killing all the <laughs> all the livestock, and, and the wife gives him a look, but they don't. They that was don't my do favorite part of the whole issue. She was like, mm. oh, <laughs> I was like "Oh, Esther Prynne, look at <laughs> so you!" Then the sun goes out, and he gets kidnapped by the creature, and Solomon Kane is chasing. It was fine. It was yeah. fine. It looked good. I will definitely keep my eyes open for the next issue. I'm not going to guarantee mm-hmm. I'll see it. Sometimes I miss Titan books, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to read more Conan adventures. I'm not incredibly invested in the Solomon Kane story, but I'll, I'll read the next issue if I see it. Yeah. There's a Howard oh. Porter pinup in the back. And a Howard Porter, Howard Chaikin. Yeah, there is. Which I don't know what that was. Solomon Kane. I was like, who? Who is it? I think so. <laughs> it's not Conan. No, it, is. it wasn't Conan. He's that kind of cavalier sword. So that, like, that's what Solomon Kane had. Okay, yeah. Ratings. I thought for sure they were going to make, he was either Conan or Conan's descendant. Ratings. I doubt. They shouldn't. Like, it's the same character. And they look exactly the same. Out of five, I'm going to give it four and a quarter for the whole thing. I quite enjoyed it. Four. Four. And I'm sticking with it. Sticking with it. Yes. Yeah. If I remember. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. You can vote to add a book to the rundown every week if you're a patron. Or if you want to become one and get involved in the show, you can do it that way. It's fun. And as we mentioned earlier, if you give it the $5 or a higher level, you get a superpower live on the show like Cormac, the uh, one named Cormac. He is the share of Ireland. Cormac, he's a fine man. 
What Vine Man can do is he can shoot. I thought you said he was a fine man. I was He's like, a fine oh, man. That's nice. Okay. Vine Man with a V can shoot vines out of his hands and either use them to swing or to rope or to tie up things. Mm-hmm. It's like Spider Man, but with vines instead of webbing. Okay. Which I just realized that now. So I didn't plan it that way. Ivy. As I was saying it, I was like, this is just Spider Man, but I had to go with it. So okay. he can shoot vines, swing like Tarzan, or rope you up with them, or, you know, just shoot them out vines from his hands all right do they have any they just have leaves on them there's no fruit or anything i don't they know don't what's on move vines. they don't they're no. not prehensile no they're just okay. vines i mean okay. they could hook on things and they could catch they on thorns things. like do they have like extra strength and are they able to be swung upon yeah he can swing on them okay yeah for sure and he has to make the tarzan yell when he does it oh wow there's a whole other element <laughs> can they be wrapped about something or do they just shoot out like silly string <laughs> Kind of both, depending on his mood. <laughs> like, if he's celebrating, his team wins. Woo! Silly string vines come flying right. out. You know? Does he ever... Does he, does he this ever... This is so much like Spider-Man that I was just making the gesture to myself, <laughs> but I made the Spider-Man fingers. Does he ever sneeze? <laughs> and vines come out? Yeah. Well, you know how, like, when you're sick, you know, you sort of lose control, and uh-huh. so... You know, not normally, but, like, if he was if he was sort of maybe drunk or something, like, he sneezes and some vines come out, you know? That's just a rarity. You know, like one of those things from like an 80s comedy where like a woman like touches his shoulder or something. Goes, ah! Like divine <laughs> shoot out at that point. Yeah, like he's very, if he's very turned on. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yes. Divine man. <laughs> or somebody says something and then they're just happy to be holding a toothpaste tube and they squeeze it. Right, and it all right. shoots out like that joke. God, that's annoying. Toothpaste <laughs> expensive. So there you go, Cormac. Thanks for being a patron. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's how you can become a patron and get your superpower live on the show. We got two emails, Josh, and I've titled this segment, The Airing of Grievances. Uh-oh. I got a lot of problems with you people. The first email is from Mateo A. Mateo says, longtime listener since 2006. As you observed more than once, nowadays it feels like the majority of comics are drawn by Italian artists. As a native-speaking Italian, I feel like Uh-oh. I need to help you with the pronunciation of a few artists. I love oh. you guys, but you're really butchering these names. When you say you guys, do you mostly mean Connor? No, it's both of us. He says, the letter K doesn't exist in the Italian alphabet. Okay. And the K sound is represented by the C or the CH, depending on the following vowels. So, Marco Cicchetto, as we used to say, is actually Marco Cicchetto. Okay. Valerio Schitti, as we used to say, is Valerio Schitti. Okay. Sarah Picelli, as we used to say, is... Picelli. Picelli. And he ended his email with ciao. Now... That's a very helpful email, Matteo. That is. That is. That's true. Don't let us go on butchering these things. We don't know. This is what happened in the old days when all these shows first started. No one ever spoke these names out loud. Yeah. And so when all these podcasts began 2005 and six, we all got flooded with emails from creators or whoever saying, you are totally saying those names wrong because no one ever said them out loud before. You only read them in a book. And however your head said them was how it was. And many times you were on the show saying it for the first time mm-hmm. because you'd never thought about it. And as it came out of your mouth, you thought, this isn't right. <laughs> your mouth was like, Bleh. yeah. And you're going, oh, I, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> These letters together are a problem for me. Keketo. Is it Keketow? No. Keketo. Keketo. We're going to make a Skeety. concerted effort to pronounce these names correctly. However... He says the CH isn't always a K. It depends on the vowel. So, look, we're going to now make all CHs into Ks, and you're going to write back and say, well, it's not in this case. So, it's just, it's a minefield. It's a but minefield. But I, I do appreciate the email. Sure. Don't wait so long next time, Mateo. We've been butchering Sarah Pacelli's name for like 10 years. You just did it again. 
Let's see. Sarah Bacelli. <laughs> we've, been, we've been butchering it for 10 years. Is it pronounced Sarah? Like, is that right? <laughs> it's it's Scara. Sarah. Sarah Bacelli. I'm sorry, Mitchie. I'm oh, really God. sorry. Now I'm going to like. The thing no. is, we're not going to stop with the jokes, though. I, uh, no. We know they're going to do it, huh? <laughs> see, I picture Mateo writing this email on his phone while he's also writing a Vespa. Well, yeah, and but he's got the thing a is, stylish scarf flap in the wind, and he's also yeah, somehow drinking a uh, espresso. And there's a very beautiful woman who gives him a look, and he gives her a look, and or a man, depending on whatever. I was thinking it was Anisette, but I don't understand how you can drive the scooter, type, and smoke the cigarette. I mean, you can keep it in your mouth for a bit. He's driving the scooter, smoking the cigarette, typing on his phone, and drinking an espresso, and having like a droll look on his face. Right. Yeah. Nothing bothers him. What are you gonna do? <laughs> so or whatever the you know like a real italian he's really stylishly is. dressed sure but like not um, for today and everybody just keeps giving him sort of a gesture and he gives it back somehow right and like he any corner he stops on somebody hands him fresh bread <laughs> <laughs> and he and he and he just looks at it he's 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 clearly happy but he's not gonna he's what the bad <laughs> and they things nod are, things are writing in mateo <laughs> the second airing of grievances. Uh, Carl C. writes and says, I'm really surprised that you guys loved Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, so much. In one part of the story, the villain was killing off the prostitutes Alan Scott frequented at the docks. This wasn't boyfriends or one-night stands. He paid them for sex. This made me so angry because if this was the Flash or whomever paying for a call girl, you'd be yelling that it was bad writing and editorial was ruining the character. Now, you're not reading this book, so you can't. Yeah, I said I saw this one in the, and I was like, "Not you guys! I didn't read it." Well, it was me and Ryan. Ryan and I were raving. That's what I show you. There's lots going on here. So number one is not all characters are the same. So what's okay for one character may not be okay for another character. And I assume by the Flash you mean Jay Garrick and not Wally West, but you could also. So is make the story idea. here that Alan Scott, as a closeted male, had to turn to prostitutes so that he could continue staying in the closet, but feel is like is that the deal? Yeah. Okay. Because that's what had to happen yes. in the 1940s, all the way up through fairly recently, even today. Yes. And so there's a couple of things. One is what Josh just said, is that homosexuality and heterosexuality are not treated the same by society, especially in the 1940s. So you had to do things. He couldn't just go date people. He had, he had to find companionship in that time of the world in any way he could. And it most frequently meant paying for companionship. I reread the first couple after the scene was to make sure... I didn't read the most recent one, but it's a little nebulous whether he paid them or they were just also prostitutes. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. They were deeply in the closet, and you can't just go date people. The other thing is, this will be slightly controversial and probably misconstrued, but I don't think it's necessarily a moral failing to visit a prostitute, depending on your situation. I have not done this in myself, but especially in the 40s, Alan Scott's a GI. And so if you consider mm. that to be a moral failing... A good portion of the men who fought in World War II would fall into that because a good portion Vietnam. of the men who fought in World War II visited prostitutes throughout the war. Mm. I don't have a problem with that at all. They didn't know if they were going to die or not. And so you combine that with the fact that he had to be stuck in the closet and had to do these things. It's not the same as Jay Garrick. Now, if you're saying Jay Garrick is married with a kid and he visits a prostitute, that's a different story. But it's not the same as Alan Scott's story. And it's certainly a different story if it's Wally West today. Right. If it's Wally West today, I get it. Those kids are terrible and he needs to get away from them. But yes, we would say that's a bad choice. But that's because Wally West's specific circumstances are different than Alan Scott's and Jake Garrick's are different than Alan Scott's. The way they're telling the story, I don't know, lots of people are upset about what they changed and made Alan Scott gay. It was certainly an adjustment in my head because he was one character for 30 years. But 
Longer than that. <laughs> the way this, well, in my, my comic yeah, I know, time, I know, I know. In the way they portrayed this, it's been very sensitive and very realistic in terms of what men were going through. And again, it's not like it's stopping now. It's still not condoned in a lot of places. You lived in the shadows. You lived on the edge of society because you were forced to. And you're a young man with needs. You were just in the war. There's, I don't have a problem with that. Mm. You may not like it. It may not make you happy. And that's fine. It's, it's your right as a reader to not be happy with the story choices. But I don't think it's a ruining of the character. I think it's a very realistic version of what someone like him would have gone through in the 1940s and 50s. So that's why we weren't yelling about it. Any thoughts, Josh? I know you didn't read it, but you know about this period of time. And Yeah, I mean, I think I think you covered what I would have said. But certainly, you know, if we're going for realism... And it's it's sort of your call whether that's something you want in a book or not, like a superhero book. It's not far off. And did he give a shit that they were killing off the prostitutes? Like, was he shitty? With I don't know. There's like there's a whole level of stuff that could change it around or mean different things. But it's not like this is unusual to fiction and historical fiction. I don't consider it a moral failing of the character. Because I don't know anything about him. But it tells me a lot about what kind of story you're talking, you're doing here. Is this Black Label? No, this is just a regular book. Alan huh. Scott Minster. It well, was a word. They weren't showing him visiting them. He, right. They were showing him talking to them because one of the guys was missing. And he's like, oh, he'd gone to somebody's house. And it turns out that Alan Scott's boyfriend, who is the, really the villain, has been killing off all the people close to him. It's not lurid. They weren't showing him actually visiting the prostitutes. It was the aftermath of the people he knew had been gone missing from the docks. Mm-hmm. It's just what happened, you know? Yeah. Men like him were not allowed to live a normal life, quote unquote, what we call normal. Uh-huh. And so that's the reality of the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Yeah. It wasn't exploitative. It wasn't lured. It was just factual. I guess is what happened. So I think you'd really like this book, Josh, but. Okay. Just letting you know. Well, I love prostitute murders. Sure. The main point, I mean, there's <laughs> lots of main points, but the main point is not every character is the same. And so you, you have to judge what happens with each character differently. Mm-hmm. Conflict.ifanboy.com is how you can write in like Carl and Mateo. Thank you for your emails, both of you. They were good emails. You can always write in with your grievances. <laughs> we'll take them. We can handle it. Also, you can write in for a media exploded at the same address if you want it for the media exploded. Please mark it in the subject line. We've been getting some good ones for that. So plug time. We are now into March 2024. This month, we will have a book explode. The book explode will be on Homicide, the graphic novel part one, the French graphic adaptation of the David Simon nonfiction book that led to the TV show. And I'm looking forward to reading that. I love that book. It's a great book. David Simon's It's a book. great book. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's a two-part adaptation, but we're talking about the first part. And so it'll be coming to you probably the end of the month. We need time to read it and digest it and all that stuff. And then probably earlier in the month, well, about mid-month, you're going to get our Media Explode show, our next Media Explode. So I guess we're doing that subject of shows we should be watching. We talked about that in the last episode. We're going to Talk about the shows that are on our two-watch list, and then the rest of the guys are going to make the case for, for watching one of them. And then we're going to each watch one and report back. Did we talk about this? I've never heard any of that. That was the, we discussed it on the last show. That's eh, fine. I don't remember that. Swiss cheese brain. Are you a time traveler? Yeah, it's bad. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> and then maybe it'll be a talk explode this month. There wasn't one last month because there was some scheduling difficulties, and it's tough with that kind of thing. And so, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I've got a get somebody on the hook. I got a fish on the hook for sure. There was a lot of reaching out last month, and they didn't work out. So, but we were good. You guys know. I'm going to make sure that's a it's good a busy show. month for the Federal Reserve. Awful month. Jerome Powell couldn't make <laughs> it work with his schedule, mm-hmm. and so Josh moved on to other figures. Yeah, other people. Jerome Powell doesn't know what he's missing out on. So look for those shows this month, and then next month there'll be an animated brain trust on Crisis Part 2. We'll, we'll get to those that month later on. 
In the meantime, we've got over 1,300 shows and counting at ifanboy.com and on our podcast feed. You can get those over podcasts are sold. You can follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. Or sometimes the best of the week in panels features also on ifanboycomics. Individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Did not coordinate the same name structure, but it's just what happened because you really got we've been that around head, each huh? other for so long. We share a brain. That's why it's yeah. Swiss cheese because two people are using the same brain. And it's just it's really <laughs> you got more of the memory. <laughs> so, I got more of the anxiety. I don't think that was a good trade, but here we are. <laughs> Seems unfair. No, it but, does. So that's how you can find us online. It's the only place we are online. If anyone else claims to being us, that's not us. Is that a thing? <laughs> I'm not. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. It's not us. Wouldn't you be just? I would. I would be almost flattered. By the way, that is not an invitation. No, there, there actually back in the days of using Twitter, there was another Connor Kilpatrick from Brooklyn. Uh, he was a politics writer. You had the same problem. You had another Josh Flanagan. You yeah, had Jay I Flanagan. Had- Jay Flanagan, who got much bigger than me. You had Jay Flanagan, and I had C. Kilpatrick, and he was a... It was Josh Flanagan. Politics writer. But wasn't his handle Jay Flanagan? I think it was Josh Flanagan. He was with Rooster Teeth, and I believe since then there was a large problem. There was a scandal. There was something that's not around anymore. So I don't know what happened to that guy. My guy, we live in the same borough. <laughs> we run the same age. We both wrote online at the time, and we were constantly getting each other's angry messages in the same way you and, you and uh, the Josh became sort of friendly, we became sort of friendly mm-hmm. in the same way. I even had someone I know personally confuse us, send me an angry direct message about something that he tweeted. I was like, I need you to look at that again closely <laughs> and see that's not me. And uh, they did not respond. I think they were embarrassed. Uh, so anyway. You can subscribe to YouTube.com slash iFanboy. You can find all of our old video shows there. You can find a video version of this. But when I say video, I mean it's a still with the audio here. It doesn't animate. It doesn't do any of those things. We're going to start using AI to animate the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure eventually they'll do, they'll do little cartoons of yeah, us. Just, like, we'll drop in the audio and say, just animate these two guys talking about comics, and we'll see how that goes. But that's there if you choose to uh, enjoy it in that way. Like those, I guess, if you're there, that's helpful to us in some way. You can consider writing a review or leaving a star rating, depending on what you use for podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. There's other places, podcast distributors, which is different than podcast apps necessarily. But uh, that, that's we, always you know what, actually. I looked it up, and we were discussing this in the Discord. I looked it up how many different podcast apps people are using to listen to the show, and it's a lot. Yeah, it's a sure whole a lot. lot of options. I'm finding a list here. It is dozens, including someone people are listening on a Zoom device. No shit. Yeah. So there's people listening on iTunes. All right. It's dozens, dozens of ways people listen to the show. There are dozens of us. There are Michael. dozens of dozens. <laughs> It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you. If you're listening on Zoom, awesome. Awesome. You probably have a really cool record collection. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. That was fun. I enjoyed that. It always ends the week on a good note, Josh. It just does. If only the week were over. <laughs> it's, it's true. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thank you.